Denver's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend. How are you doing today? And as always, this is the host of Chasing Poker Greatness and the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is Twitch partner and co-founder of Tournament Poker Edge, Derek Tinbush. Derek is an amazing, amazing dude. He's one of those rare folks who have been in poker for a very long time and has come to love the poker community even more than playing the actual game itself. I know that may sound a bit counterintuitive, especially if you listen to the jaded grinders who are always talking about how slimy folks in our community are, but I 100% get where he's coming from. Even though multiple students in my community have made massive gains over the last year, including one who's went from 20k hands per month at 100 no limit in September to maintaining a 10 BB per 100 win rate over 45k hands at 200 no limit in November to now shot taking and running like the sun at 1k no limit in December, what I genuinely value the most about my community are not the success stories. What I value the most are the relationships that I've been blessed with and it's not even a contest. So today, in mine and Derek's conversation, you're going to learn exactly why Derek loves the poker community so much, the hilarious story behind him and his wife's move from Los Angeles to North Carolina, a greatness bomb on finding your why and pursuing life and poker on your terms, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the hilarious and inspiring co-founder of Tournament Poker Edge, Derek Ted Bush. Derek, good morning, my man. How you doing? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Doing very well. Enjoying this pleasant winter weather that <laughs> is upon us. No, it does not feel like uh, we're approaching Thanksgiving, does it? Absolutely does not. But 2020 has been an odd year, so nothing surprises me at this point. And, I know. Uh, <laughs> um, Typically, I like starting out the show by asking about your story. What's the story behind you getting involved playing cards? Sure. So um, I, um, I mean, I had played a little bit of cards and stuff as like a little kid, like for, you know, pennies and nickels. I don't even know if we knew the rules or if we were playing right. Like it's, you know, we were so young that I'm sure like we thought straights beat flushes or something. I don't really remember, but I definitely was not like, I don't consider that any kind of beginning for me. Um, where it really kind of started was I, um, I had, well, I was living in California working in the music business and I, uh, had moved into a new neighborhood and they had like a neighborhood game. Uh, so I kind of started messing around in that. And that was just like once a month or whatever we could get together. And it was all like, you know, dealer's choice, basically, you know, the standard, you know, baseball and I, I got a lot, have a lot of follow-up questions here because a, I know you're in Durham, North Carolina now. Mm -hmm. So how old are you, first of all, so that we can kind of set the timeline? Yeah, yeah. So I'm 47. And I think at that time, so let's see, I would have been 26, maybe 27, like around this time where this neighborhood home game was kicking off. 
what led you to California and then back to Durham? I mean, I, that's skipping around, but first, where are yeah, you from no, originally? Yep, no problem. I am, I'm originally from uh, Michigan, the Detroit area. Okay, that resolves um, nothing. <laughs> I know, yeah. So I, um, I moved to a very, so I lived around Detroit, and then my, we moved to northern Michigan, way, way, way up north, a small little town of 2,000 people. And I, you know, I wasn't very old yet. I was only in seventh grade, but I definitely did not enjoy that move. <laughs> um, it was just a real culture shock for me and stuff. So I, I basically picked up guitar and I started playing guitar and that led me to want to be a rock star basically. So I, as soon as I could, as soon as I graduated from high school, I was like, I got to get out of here. So I, I went to college in central Michigan university, downstate Michigan, because I thought that was the big city. I was like, I got to get, <laughs> I got to get the heck out of here. But I only really went to college to play guitar. So I played in a band through college and then I ended up going to grad school really just as an excuse to continue to be able to play in a band. It was like, well, if I go to school longer, I can keep playing. <laughs> and eventually I realized like I was not a particularly good guitar player. And when I was did you not... realize this? At what point in your journey to rock stardom? I think I kind of knew it the whole time, but I was having so much fun, you know, like it was, it was maybe the best job I ever had, if you would ever call it a job. Um, like I was enjoying it. I enjoyed the people that I was playing with and I kind of knew that it was going to end eventually, which I think is why I did the whole grad school thing. I'm like, well, here's a, here's an out, you know, a year and a half, like reprieve where I can continue playing, but I was pretty sure I was going to quit, you know, as soon as that was over. So when grad school ended, I was like, well, now what do I do? I don't really want to do what I went to school for, even though I don't even know exactly what I went to school for. I have a communication degree. So um, I guess I went to school to talk. Congratulations, <laughs> um, making yeah. good use of your degree right now. <laughs> exactly. So I just decided I was going to go be in the business side of the music industry. Um, so I packed up my car. I had $300 uh, and I got in my Dodge Neon and I drove to Los Angeles and I slept on a guy's couch for the first three or four months uh, while I searched for a job in the music business and I ended up, you know, getting an entry level job. And then I spent 15 years in the music industry um, in California. And then, so this is actually, this actually curves right back to the story. So it's a perfect segue. Uh, so at some point I decided, or we, my wife and I decided we wanted to leave Los Angeles um, really on a whim. Uh, and we, we didn't really know where we wanted to go. So we kind of did it randomly. Um, I've, I've told this story, I think, once before, but essentially we went, we went on Travelocity and they used to have these things called last minute deals. And it was basically a thing where like you could leave tomorrow and you could get like a hotel, airfare and a rental car or whatever for like 200 bucks. You know, it's just basically I think they were just filling empty space. So I was like, well, there's one to Raleigh. I said, maybe I'll just fly to Raleigh tomorrow and just see what it looks like. So we f I flew to Raleigh and this was before cell phone cameras. So I used a video recorder to like record some houses that I toured with a real estate agent. And uh, 30 days later, we had sold our house in California and we were moving to, to Raleigh. So yeah, it was very random. And people were like, well, you must have had family there. Or you know, I was like, no, <laughs> just moved to a random place. <laughs> um, but it, was, it, it ended up being you know, a really great decision. I would, we've enjoyed our time here for sure. Um, but what ended up happening is so w when we made that decision, I realized that if I ever lost my job in the music industry, because I was working from home, but I realized that if I ever lost that job, I'd probably never get back in without leaving North Carolina, because there's really no music industry here. Um, so that did eventually happen. But before that, I 
uh, well, so yeah, so I lost my job in the music industry. Uh, and I, so when I was in the music business, I was basically going out four or five nights a week, socializing, going to shows, going to concerts, traveling with bands, things like that. And when I no longer had that, I was going insane. Like I was home seven nights a week. And I'm sure my wife was going even more insane than me. But we went to a restaurant, a bar slash restaurant one day. And I saw a flyer on the wall for a f- pub poker league or whatever. And I was like, oh, here's a perfect excuse for me to like just go out two nights a week or whatever and, and get out of the house. I wasn't really going because it was poker specifically. It was just like, here's something I can go do. It's free. And like you won like a gift certificate or whatever if you won the the poker tournament. So I started going to that two nights a week or so. And I just ended up loving it. Like I, it was the first time where I really started to like play no limit tournaments. It's the first time where I started to like appreciate strategy and stuff. So then, you know, that led me to the two plus two forums, which led me to training sites, uh, which led me to buying like Harrington on Hold'em. And the next thing I knew I was addicted to poker. <laughs> Full blown poker player. What'd the wife think? Um, she was cool with it. I, you know, I, um, I think I had always sort of, and I should mention, my wife and I met when I was 15 years old. So we've been together pretty much our entire lives. So she's always, she's always known me to be the guy who like does crazy things like plays in rock bands or moves to California to be in the music business or moves to Raleigh. Yeah, randomly, yeah, randomly moves across the country. So it wasn't like anything new to her. And as she once said, it, it's better because at least, at least now I'm home. You know, because I was mostly playing online poker. I didn't do a lot of traveling to play live circuit or anything like that. So she was like, you know, at least he's not out, you know, you know, driving four hours to another city with a band and then getting home at 4 a.m. And so I think she actually kind of liked it. The money wasn't as good because I wasn't good. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think she was cool with it. How, how did y'all survive with, you know, you losing your job? Was she working? Yeah, she's, she's, um, it's kind of weird in this day and age, but she's actually worked for the same company for, I think, coming up on 25 years. So, wow. so she's always had a career and um, one good thing about, so I worked uh, for EMI Music and they're, um, well, they don't exist anymore, but they were an English company and England based company. Uh, and one good thing about working for a company from there is that they are really good with taking care of their employees, you know amazing benefits, great 401k, all that kind of stuff. So when I did leave, I got a great severance package. So it was, it allowed me a lot of time to sort of figure out, well, you know, kind of the same question I had when I left college. Well, now what do I do? Cause I'm not going back to the music business. I'm not making a living playing poker. So I got to figure out something to do with my life. <laughs> right. I, and I had some time. Like it wasn't like I was rushed, you know? And poker grabbed a hold of you. Do you remember like the day that was like, okay, I'm just going to keep playing this game. I'm going to, invest all of my energy into poker instead of trying to find another job or trying to start a business. I'm sure you had other things that were kind of brewing in your mind. Yeah, I think it was kind of like a, I, I don't think it was like a one incident thing or, or a, an immediate effect. It, it kind of developed over time. Um, I think it was a, it was a gradual recognition of the fact that you could actually make money in poker but not at the poker table. I think that was kind of the thing that made me realize, oh, I, I could actually do this because I can do other stuff around poker to make money, you know? Uh, and that's kind of what led to starting TPE and starting podcasts and things like that was really just, I loved being around poker. And I think that was a realization that I had eventually. I don't even know that I ever loved 
the game of poker as much as I thought I did. I think I loved the poker community as much as I thought I did. That is a very different path than most people, I think. Yeah. I, and, and don't get me wrong. There was a time period where I spent a lot of time studying, you know, watching videos, getting coaching, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I, I enjoyed that part of it. But I think the thing that kept me coming back year after year after year was all the friends that I had made, the ability to socialize with people. And it's been immensely valuable over the last nine months because it's kind of been, you know, for many of us, our only social circle, you know? So it's been really good. But yeah, I think that's, that's the thing that kind of kept me in it was the whole community aspect. Um, And probably the thing that will keep me in it, even if I stop playing, I'll still probably be involved in it some way or another. I like to think anyway. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for this podcast, I would just spend my days talking to my cats, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly what I would be doing without my students and my community and interacting with my podcast guests. It's been a nice reprieve in this time of COVID, um, yeah. just having different people to talk to because like it, it's tough out there as far as socialization goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of it's good, too, because everybody's kind of going through it in different ways. You know, some people have been very directly impacted by it for a lot of people you know maybe they lost their job or maybe they lost a family member and then other people it's you know a little bit more indirect where it's like well i haven't you know directly suffered but i you know my friend's family is suffering or whatever and kind of the ability to communicate about that and talk to each other about it i think is incredibly helpful um, from a mental health standpoint for sure and tell me about tournament poker edge how far into your poker career were you and how did that come about so this would have been 1990 no that is not right it would have been uh <laughs> start over it would have been 2009 ish i guess when we when the when the earliest inklings of tpe came about so i had i had met several people through to the two plus two forums um and one person in particular uh ron fez buddy who's my business partner in tpe or one of my business partners and um, we, you know, we would talk in the two plus two forums, the strategy forums and things like that. And then we, it kind of got, two plus two kind of got to a place where it was a little bit contentious. And I don't know, it was kind of during that era where you'd post like an interesting, what you thought was an interesting river spot and seven people would just say fold pre or whatever. And you're like, well, this isn't really doing me any good. Um, so we actually split off and started like a private forum, uh, which was called LOL Nice Squeeze. And there were probably 40 or 50 people in that group and most of us were kind of all in the same place in our poker journey or whatever and we would just share hands and talk strategy and you know talk about life and other stuff and at one point we decided we should all meet up sometime like why don't we go to Atlantic City for this WSOP circuit event and we'll hang out and play some poker and actually meet in person and I think maybe 10 or 12 of us I think all went to this thing and uh and me and Diego uh Ron Fest buddy we we sort of gravitated towards each other because he was uh, he was a programmer, web developer, marketing guy. I was I came from a marketing background, and we got to talking about the idea of building a business in poker. Uh, and we weren't really sure what that was going to look like. We had no idea what to do. We just were like, it would be fun if we could just like start a business, and maybe if it makes money, that'd be cool too. But if it doesn't, it would just kind of be fun from an entrepreneurial standpoint. So we went through a big list of things that we talked about doing. Um, surprisingly, some of them actually eventually became businesses that we did not start, but we thought of back then. Um, but we kind of settled on the idea of doing a training site, even though there were several of them around at the, that time. 
none of them focused specifically on tournaments. And we wanted, you know, that was one of our, we had the same frustration, him and I, we, we were members of several trading sites, but sometimes you would, you know, you'd watch the latest tournament video and then you'd have to sit through like a cash video and then a sit and go video and a, you know, a, a Raz video or whatever until, you know, 30 days later, the next tournament video finally came out. And we were like, wouldn't it be great if there was a training site where it was just all tournament videos so we just decided on doing that. And like I said, we didn't really expect much of it. We were just like, it'll be fun to build. And if nothing else, we build a kind of a bigger, better community that we like the one we already have. And maybe it actually pays for itself. So yeah, we, we kind of put this business plan together. And the model was basically such that we thought we could be profitable in nine months. And uh, we ended up being profitable in 30 days. And uh, here we are almost, almost 11 years later, still going. Still going strong, still profitable. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, I mean, it almost didn't work out that way because we, we launched Tournament Poker Edge on April 5th, or sorry, April 16th, 2010. I think that's, I think that's right. And almost exactly one year to the day later was Black Friday. And, uh, and we were like, oh, no this could be the end and not immediately because people have like monthly memberships or quarterly memberships, but within some time, I think we lost something like 60 or 70% of our customers. Just, you know, people kind of saying, Oh, I don't, I can't play anymore. So I'm out or whatever. So we were like, this could be the end. <laughs> like, it, you know, it was going so good and we might just only last a year. And you always hear that. Like you always hear that saying like most small businesses don't make it through the first year. And we were like, well, at least we made it a year. Like that was good. So we made some tough business decisions, kind of changed the way we were doing things, uh, changed our marketing strategy, and um, slowly but surely, we just kind of crawled out of it. And yeah, here we are, still still grinding away. And that that decision to keep going, I'm sure it's one that weighed on you. And you said you made some tough tough decisions. What did those decisions look like? So we had um we had a bunch of we had different owners at the time. There was sort of an ownership group. But a lot of those guys basically couldn't play poker anymore because at that time that we you didn't have all these options that we kind of have now with you know ACR or ignition or I mean they were kind of around but nobody really knew if they were safe and nobody was really playing on them so well a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys were just like well I'm just gonna like take some time off but and it's kind of convoluted but basically our whole model was based on the fact that everybody who had ownership in the site made content so if those people. Uh, or even me, it's just all of a sudden stopped making content, then we don't have a business anymore. So we had to kind of think of, well, what, you know, what can we do? So we essentially just had to buy a bunch of people out and then sort of think about how to redistribute that money. So that, you know, so like the very earliest days of TP, everybody who was making videos was an owner. And now none of the people making videos <laughs> are owners um, with the exception of me making, well, actually Mark Galliotto too. So me and Mark occasionally appear on videos, but for me, it's only to get my game ripped apart. I don't actually do any coaching or anything because I don't think I'm good enough of a teacher. But um, so yeah, that was like one of the big decisions, but there was kind of a lot of other, like just smaller things too, you know, like, I mean, like, you know, do we have to cut how much we pay pros? Do we have to release videos at a slower rate? Do we have to, uh, charge more or charge less what do, you know what do we have to do to like get people back in um, so there was a lot of sort of testing a b testing on what was working and what was not but it feels like we kind of made the right choices yeah i mean it, that was a very tough time for all of the poker world really and as somebody that played pretty much solely online after black friday i mean 
you said that you know we we didn't really understand the other options that were available, but it, it was also like I'm not trusting anybody. Like, how do right. I trust another operator at this point when like stars tilt UB all right. disappear into dust and then lock poker? Um, was the thing that I investigated and was considering depositing on. And like, I read about them on two plus two and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, they're not paying people out. Like they're still yeah. taking deposits. What is going on? So there was like almost no trust uh, in the poker community of the platforms. Like it took me four years to even deposit on, you know, Bodog, which may have been Bovada at that point and mm-hmm. turned into ignition eventually. But yeah, it took me like four years before I made another online deposit. I just said, okay, I'm just going to play live. I don't trust anything. Yeah, it's a very dark time. Yeah, like I, I think for people who maybe have come into the poker world in the last five or six years or whatever, they might not realize – because it's almost – it sounds bad, but it's it's almost kind of like people almost expect that you could possibly lose your money these days. So it's almost like, well, why was that such a big deal? But you got to think in that time – like that was a company run by essentially our heroes, right? You know, it was like, that's Phil Ivy and that's, you know, uh, Helmuth and all these, all these people who like we looked up to and respected. And it's like, well, if they took our money and, you know, obviously we could do seven other podcasts about who really stole the money and who didn't and who's to blame. But, you know, from a, from a casual poker player's perspective, it's like, well, if I couldn't trust them with my money, I'm surely not going to put it on this site that has no employees listed. Nobody knows who runs it. Nobody knows who's in charge. Um, so it definitely took some time. And I, I jumped in like relatively quickly into some of those sites, but like at very small stakes, you know, I was just like, well, I'll just play on there. And if I lose my money, then you know, I'm losing a couple hundred bucks or whatever, but I'm definitely not putting four figures on any of those sites. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not even just the players, right? It's not even our heroes. Like, poker advertising spots were all mm. over ESPN and on, you know, NFL Sunday, like full right. tilt ads and poker stars ads and UB ads. I mean, they were ubiquitous. They were just yeah. on the most popular programming in the country on a regular basis. And like, it, we just felt overly safe and then the doj just kind of pulled the rug out from under everybody and caught you know full tilt clearly with their pants down and their hand in the cookie jar and they couldn't distribute the funds and then that was like a massive you know just a seismic shift in the poker world where you know in 2010 the pros were kind of celebrated right they were like you wanted to play with the pros that was full tilt poker's tagline and their slogan and now in 2020 it's like fuck the pros is almost the tagline of a lot of poker operators. And it's just kind of crazy how the sentiment and how the messaging and how just how everything's changed over the last decade and kind of how it's like now people that play online, um, you know, we expect ACR to just kind of disappear into dust at some point with everybody's money. Like that, that's my expectation anyway. I don't know if anybody else expects that or not, but that's mine. Yeah. I think I'm similar in that, I guess I don't necessarily expect it, but I just will never be shocked at, at that happening with any operator at this point, you know, because I mean, all it takes is for it doesn't even have to be the operator necessarily. Like it could just be a government entity going, oh, we're finally going to focus on this problem over here or what they see as a problem. 
So, yeah, I mean, so I, you know, people hit me up all the time because I play primarily on ACR and people hit me up all the time and say, oh, you know, is it safe? Do you trust it? And I'm like, I mean, I trust it as much as I can trust any poker site at this point, I guess, you know, uh, and I know it's not like the greatest answer, but it's like, if you want to play online and you live in America, you basically have like three options. Um, so pick which one you think is the best for you, you know, based on your circumstances and, and roll with it or go play live. Like those are pretty much your choices. Yeah. If you live in like 92% of the States that don't have any regulated online poker, like if you live, if you're part of the 8%, the lucky 8% that lives in like PA or New Jersey, um, Nevada, those States, then yeah, you're, you're good to go. I, I would be extremely shocked if like WSOP.com disappeared or poker right. stars. I, I don't think that's happening, but like, sure. you know, ignition and ACR, I think global poker may be, may be okay. I know that they're actually, uh, have structured their platform to where it's technically legal, um, through the sweepstakes model, but right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a very crazy world, and don't be surprised if you know your your funds disappear. Don't keep don't keep more money than you're willing to lose overnight in your online balances. Yeah, and the good thing too, and I tell people this all the time, it's not it's a little easier now because back then, even though these sites were quote unquote legitimate, it wasn't that easy to deposit or withdraw on full tilt or poker stars. At least it wasn't for me. So, I, you know, it would be like, you know, my this card would get d- denied and then I'd try another card and it would get denied and then I'd have to call my bank and tell them and they'd be like, no, you can't. And then when you cash out, you get a check three weeks later from like a tennis ball company in like Canada or whatever. If you're lucky. Um, yeah, yeah. If you're exactly. unlucky, you get the one from Singapore and <laughs> right. you and then, take yeah, that then, one to the bank and they're yeah, like, what the hell is this? But, you know, at least now with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, like you can... I mean, it's super easy to deposit. Uh, I just did a withdrawal recently, got it within 24 hours. So there's there's really no excuse anymore to keep anything but, you know, maybe a few days bankroll on a poker site. I'm not necessarily that safe about it. Like I probably should be, but you can be, and it's really easy. And especially if you're in the poker community enough where you know people who you can just be like, hey, can you ship me 50 bucks? I need to want to play this tournament. You could just settle up. Don't do trades with people you don't know. <laughs> but if you know people, um, you know, it's super easy to get money on and off these days. So it's like, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, I got 15K on my account. I'm like, why? It's like six months of buy-ins for you. Like, dude, get some money off. Yeah. If you're playing 2K and L, then maybe 15K makes sense. Yeah. Um, but if not, then probably not going to be worth it uh, over the long, the long run. Yep. And yeah, if you've been averse to learning how Bitcoin works, then just man up and figure it out because bitcoin has been you know it saved me from having to go to the bank and explain where this three thousand dollar check from singapore came from and why yeah. i'm getting it yeah and you get a lot of people too i you know i hear it every day in my twitch stream it's like i don't really trust bitcoin it's like you don't really have to trust it you just use it as a method to shift money back and forth as soon as you get the money you can just transit transfer it to cash us dollars like you don't have to hold bitcoin to use bitcoin as your payment method and they're like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, it's as easy as signing up for PayPal. I'm like, do you have a PayPal account? Cool. Then you can get a Bitcoin account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I trust Bitcoin more than I trust any of the unregulated poker operators. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. As far as right. disappearing overnight, right? Yeah. Jason, tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players? So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? 
But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence is just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time, like how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most. So let's cut to the chase, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you stay more present when you're at the poker table? Well, you get there by first deciding that you want more, right? That you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person. And once you get there, you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that I've put together. If it feels good, if you're enjoying it, you can keep going, right? And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress and you're enjoying your experience a lot more, not just at the table, but away from it as well. I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com, join Jason Sue's email newsletter, and then schedule a free consult with the Master of Presence himself. One more time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. What would you say is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? I think, um, I guess in hindsight, it's not unexpected, but I think at the, at the time it probably was, um, is just the, the, I think about all the people who I would not have met if it were not for poker, meaning, you know, people from different countries or people from different socioeconomic backgrounds or, um, you know, any of those kind of different factors, like, Kind of like when I was listening to the podcast, I was listening to the one with Merv on it. And I was like, man, you know, Merv, I got to hang out with Merv at the TPE meetup in Vegas that one year. That was really cool to meet him. And I would have never met a, this random dude from Australia if it had not been for the poker community. I think about it all the time, too, with Carlos Welch. You know, like he basically just showed up at a meetup one time and we've been like really good friends since. Um, I mean, he stayed at my house. We've traveled to play poker together. We've lived together for short periods of time. And I'm thinking, man, you know, I was a, some music industry dude from North Carolina. He was a teacher down in Georgia. Like, I don't really know how our paths would have ever crossed if it wasn't for this great game, you know? Yeah. So, Carlos I, I mean, is an amazing dude. I love yeah. he's been, He's been on the podcast a couple of times now. and Just an awesome, awesome guy. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of my heroes. Like, I just I love everything about him. I love the way he lives his life. I love his outlook on life. Oh, I could uh, see that. I could see you two guys getting along well. The dude that arbitrarily moved to uh, North Carolina from L.A. and the dude that lives in his car because that's, uh, you know, that's how he wants to live his life. He doesn't want to be yeah. tied down, and he's just, you know, following his own path. I think that you two guys are kind of birds of a feather, right? Yeah, we, we've had many conversations about those kind of topics, you know, about the idea of, like, never having a job you hate, you know, never getting tied down in a situation that you're not happy in. So yeah, he's, he's just, he's one of my favorite people. Yeah. Mine too. When you think about joy in your career, just in the realm of cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I mean, it, 
this is going to sound weird because I didn't cash for any money, but I remember when I first kind of started, you know, back in those bar league days when I started to like kind of get serious about poker, I remember saying to my wife, I'm like, there's a WPT event up in Atlantic city. It's a, you know, there were other events, but the one I wanted to play was a $500 event. I was like, I'm going to go drive to AC and I'm going to play this tournament so that I can say that I did it once in my life. Like I'm going to say I played one live tournament. And not just like a local tournament, but like a tournament with the WPT brand, you know? Um, and so I, you know, so I drove all the way up there and I ended up busting out like late in day one. But I was so, like, I didn't even care that I'd busted because I was so happy that I'd play that one tournament. I'm like, there, now I'm done. I never have to go play another live poker tournament again. I did exactly what I was set out to do. And I can even remember driving home being like completely content and satisfied that I'd gotten to play. Uh, and, oh, and one of the great things about it was that TJ Cloutier played at my table, who was not one of my favorite poker players in the world. I didn't dislike him, but he wasn't like one of my idols or whatever. But I remember thinking, wow, this, you know, you always heard that saying, like, poker is great because anyone can play with the best or whatever. You know, it's not like golf where you have to, like, be good enough to play with Tiger Woods. Like, you can just sit down and play with Phil Ivey or whatever. And I was like, I did it. I got to sit down and play with one of the all-time greats. So I was just like, you know, smiling, happy, driving home. And I was, you know, I got home to my wife. I'm like, well, I did it. That was fun. And then, of course, the next year I went and played another one in Vegas. And then before I knew it, I was spending every summer in Vegas <laughs> for the World Series. But yeah. um, but that moment was just fantastic. It was like I had, I had made it, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, of course, you, you just play a tournament. And like, who knows who's who you're seated with at your yeah. table. It could be one of the all-time crushers, you know, people that, you know, you see on the old full tilt ads, uh, yep. <laughs> those guys. The opposite question, when you think about pain in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I guess <laughs> it's it's really not even like, yeah, it's weird. I, I, I was going to try to think about something more, but then I said, well, no, I'll just say the same first thing I thought of when he said pain. Um, and I, I don't even remember all the details specifically, but whenever people ask me about the worst like poker beat I took or whatever I always think of this one and it was uh at the time I was I could still play on stars and I was backed at that time by um Casey Big Dog Pocket Fives Jarzebeck and so he had put me in the Sunday Million but it was one of those like special Sunday Millions where I think it was like the fifth anniversary or something so it was either like five million guaranteed or six or eight I don't even remember how many millions but and we were really deep we were in the money and I had like a top 20 stack or something out of maybe like 200 people left and uh and i was we we were like we, back then we used to like all hang out on skype and just like bull you know bs and talk about poker and oh i'm deep in this or i just busted that and i remember uh somebody opened under the gun and i had aces and he had, he had a bigger stack than me so he had you know i was deep i was high up in the rankings but he was much higher and he opened on the gun and i three bet quite large with aces and he was tanking 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 and i'm like guys i think he's gonna shove i think he's gonna shove and sure enough he did and of course i called and uh, he had ace 10 of clubs and ran out of flush and i remember uh, and i remember looking and going i would have been top two i think in chips in a tournament with a five million guarantee and this was much bigger than most tournaments that i played at that time so it was like my one chance like make the sick deep run and it was just like pulled out from under me and i've made some nice runs since then nice ish but never, I think that was like that one, one in a lifetime chance, you know, where I was like, I got this. And I willed it to happen. I was like, please shove, please shove. And I got what I asked for. But. Yeah. 
careful, <laughs> careful what you ask for. Yeah. Um, I don't play a ton of tournaments myself. I've always been drawn to the cash game side of poker, but every time I play tournament and go a little deep and bust out, it's always, you know, that was the one I needed. <laughs> that one that right, I lost, right. that yeah. was the one that I needed. I would have been a top <laughs> yeah. three stack. Like that's the feeling almost every yeah. single time. Yep. And that's why it feels so good when you win because you remember all the times that you didn't, you know, it's just like, Oh, finally, they finally let the cards fall the right way for the first time. Yeah. You, you can enjoy it a lot more when you've had a bunch of near misses and a bunch of heartbreaks. And then you finally take one down for those folks that just like sit down, like Chris moneymaker, right? The first live tournament he ever plays, he wins the WSOP main. Yeah. Like, did he think that that was like, normal right, i know i know <laughs> like well what was his expectation after that i can't right. even imagine yeah he's like this is easy which i mean i guess was great and you know that's what led to the whole moneymaker effect i guess was like oh well if that dude can win i can certainly win you know he's just he's just a like dude from tennessee or whatever like anyone can do it turns out it wasn't that easy but <laughs> but it also turns out there is a large amount of variance in this game and Sometimes folks can just run good for four or five days, you know, play pretty well, give themselves an opportunity and, you know, get there when they need to. Yeah. What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Ah, this is interesting. So I don't know. And this kind of goes back to something I was talking about earlier. I don't know if this is necessarily advice I don't agree with, but it's maybe a, um, a perception. That I don't agree with. And I think I, I, I was, I feel like I maybe wrote a blog about this like eight years ago or something, but I can't remember. I think a lot of people feel like if you're not going to try to be good at this game, then why are you playing it? You know? And I, I think that's really sort of sad. Like I, I think it's okay to be somebody who really, really enjoys the game of poker, but doesn't necessarily have an interest in putting in, 20 hours a week of study to get good at. And I know that's an odd thing for an owner of a poker training site to be saying, but I, th I just think I see a lot of people who kind of, who fall into this study mode because they feel like that's what's expected of them. Like they have to get better or whatever. But I think it's really important to like kind of sit down and evaluate yourself and think about what it is that you want from the game. Because I know a lot of people who would really enjoy this game and they study a lot. But I always say, oh, do you have like ambitions of, you know, becoming a pro or do you want to uh, you know, make this your living or whatever? Like, oh, no, no, I love my job. I would never leave my job. Like, that's what I want to do. I just enjoy playing poker for fun. And I'm like, so you don't necessarily have to be killing yourself in the lab, you know, studying poker all the time. Maybe play more poker because that's the part you really enjoy. So, you know, I, I get people giving me a hard time all the time. They're like, you know, why don't you, you know, you, you own a training site. Why don't you study more? Why don't you do this? I'm like, cause I just enjoy playing. I like to sit down at the tables and play. And if, if I am a break even player for the rest of my life, I'll be perfectly content, you know? Yeah. Um, doesn't, know doesn't mean, yeah. It doesn't mean I don't want to win tournaments. You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when I bust them or when, when I see a top prize of X number of dollars and I don't win that amount. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but I just know what I enjoy. And I, you know, I, I have a lot of things going on. And so I have to divvy up my time in certain ways and I just don't divvy a ton of it to studying. And I know, again, I know it's the weirdest thing for a training site operator to be saying, but I, you know, just, just self-evaluate yourself and figure out what you love about this game and just focus on that, do that. And to kind of expand on that, that can go even beyond poker to other areas of your life. 
just if you enjoy something for just doing it or experiencing it, then just do that. Like if that's your, if that's what's calling out to you as something that you want to do, then there, there's no there's no downside to just doing something because you get pleasure from it, right? right. Like, yeah. But if you do want to improve and play well, then invest your time and energy into improving and playing well. Like if that's your drive, if that's what drives you, but just understand what drives you and don't just do something because somebody else told you it's what you ought to be doing. You know, kind of look yeah. within yourself and follow your own bliss as it relates to, you know, not just your poker journey, but your life journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I did want to want to mention that you're a Twitch partner. And so you do enjoy playing poker. What about streaming poker? Is that a thing that you love? Yeah, in fact, I've actually... Um... I've said this on my stream a bunch. I actually think I would play way less poker if I didn't stream on Twitch. I don't think I would quit poker. I don't think I'll ever. I don't know if poker players ever really quit playing poker. They just play it less, you know, but I honestly think I'd probably like play a day a week or two days a week, you know, maybe a week, maybe play on weekends or one night with buddies or whatever. But I've learned, and I guess this kind of goes back to that community aspect of poker that I enjoy so much. I've really learned to love the streaming part of poker and it's certainly something that's pro- I, sh- I shouldn't say certainly it's probably something that's negative ev to to your poker game to stream on twitch particularly the way i do it because you're distracted you know you're p- keeping track of chat you're you know change you're doing social media you're check- changing your titles you're doing all this different stuff when you should just be focusing on poker but i feel like it's the minus EV part of it is sort of negated by the fact that I get enjoyment out of it and therefore I play more, which hopefully just helps me outrun variants eventually. Um, so yeah, so I really, really like it. I, I really only got into it on accident. I, um, I, I, I remember seeing something about Jason Somerville streaming on this thing called Twitch, which I had no idea what that was. So I went to Twitch and I was like, well, I don't see Jason Somerville streaming, but I see this guy, Jamie Staples streaming. I guess I'll just check out his channel. And so I watched it for like a day or two and I was like, this is kind of cool. Like it's kind of fun to watch. And then I, you know, I think I saw him like put a command in for something like, Oh, if you want this, if you want to use this HUD I'm using, like click this link. And I was like, Oh wait, I could promote tournament poker edge on this platform. This is going to be, this could be really good. So I basically created my Twitch channel for the sole purpose of promoting tournament poker edge. I didn't really know what I was going to do yet. I assumed I would just play poker, but I was like, maybe I'll just run TP videos out all day, or maybe I'll just get on there and talk or I'll, I'll figure something out. So I started it and then I did like one or two streams. And then the next thing I know I'd done five and then I'd done 50. And, uh, and now I think I'm coming up on December will be my six year anniversary of streaming on Twitch. <laughs> so I got addicted to it. And now I don't even really think of it as a promotional tool anymore. I mean, I do have a command somewhere for TP, but it's not like I just spend all day plugging tournament poker edge. I just enjoy it for the, for the pure pleasure of doing it. Yeah. There's two things that it feels like resonates with you, right? There's the community aspect and there's also the performance aspect, right? Like growing up, wanting to be in a rock band, like choosing to, pursue that path and then twitch it is a type of performance and interaction with the viewers yeah yeah absolutely and that's kind of why i always say to people like people come into my stream they're like oh talk about your hands more or can you tell us why you did that i'm like nah i'm good (laughs) um i do and i always say i'm like i'm just i'm really more of an entertainment a poker entertainment stream 
Um, you know, I will talk a little strategy here and there, but mostly I just like to have fun and, and play poker. And I'll say to them, like, hey, if you want a really good educational stream, you know, go check out this channel or go check out this streamer or whatever. Because uh, that's just not really what I do. And I'm not here to try to compete with Lex Feldhaus or, you know, any of these like, you know, Tonka or any of these like absolute crushers. You know, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just here to have a good time, hang out with the people who like to hang out with me. And yeah, and maybe, yeah, and I never really thought about that, but yeah, probably get a little of that rock star attitude out of myself you know <laughs> like yeah i couldn't be a rock star but i can be a rock star for 30 people on twitch <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh, i i think too like you mentioned that it's negative ev to stream and i would wholeheartedly agree you know I, i've streamed some myself and it does take your attention away from the tables um interacting answering questions knowing that you're trying to be entertaining to these people who are investing their time into you and like that's a burden that is you know it's heavy while you know you're trying to play poker at a high level and stream at the same time and so my suggestion to all the folks that you know want to try to stream is like at least try to figure out a reason why streaming is something you ought to be doing like do you love the community aspect of it like you right like will that make you play more do you find joy in that like that's a good enough reason right there to lose some ev um do you want to sell private coaching do you want to you know promote your brand or build a brand or something like that like do you have a business model behind the stream like these are also questions that are fairly important so like maybe you lose some hourly rate on you know the actual time you spend playing but you gain that back downstream um with different revenue sources so like at least have a plan for your stream i would say like it's another thing where don't don't just stream to stream if you have no plan like at least have a reason why you're choosing to do what you want to do yeah i think it's important too to understand uh how difficult it is to build up an audience i've had a lot of people who are like oh i you know i love your stream i'm gonna start a stream and then a month later they're like i'm only getting like three viewers what's going on and I'm like, dude, I've been streaming for six years and sometimes I get like 20, like, you know, some, I mean, and the reality is I've never really averaged more than like 80 to a hundred. When I first started, you could go to the Twitch directory and there might be six people streaming. Like it was so small and there was nobody from the United States. I think like the first were like me and like Dutch Boyd and like maybe two or three other people who I'm now forgetting who don't stream anymore. So it was pretty easy. And, and honestly, like I've said this before, I don't, I don't even think I would get partnered today. Like if I was streaming at the numbers I'm streaming at, I just happened to stream at exact or to get into it at exactly the right time. And they were like, Oh, we were really trying to push this poker platform. Like we should probably add some new partners. And they're like, well, there's five people streaming <laughs> partner them all. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you recognize how difficult it is to, to gain viewers. And if, if, so if gaining viewers or making money from Twitch is your goal, you might be setting yourself up for some failure. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go for it, but just be prepared to know that you might fail. But like you said, if you just love doing it and you love the community part of it and it's just fun, fuck yeah, go, go for it. It's hard work. I mean, you got to show up on a regular basis. It's hard work. Like com comparatively, you know, the market is much larger now than it was when there were five folks streaming, but also the competition is way more fierce as well as far as the number of people who are all vying for folks attention and so yeah it's it's tough to break in you need like your own little unique angle 
and you probably need to make some connections with some of the higher level streamers so that they can you know give you some boost when you need it but yeah it's like it's a grind don't expect to just fire up a stream and you get a thousand people who are super interested in what you have to say your story and how you go about playing cards yeah and i actually i made the mistake of uh committing to trying to stream every day this month and uh i mean we're what 11 days in and i'm somewhat regretting it um it's kind of for charity so it's cool like i can deal with it but it's it's becoming a grind because i think a lot of things people don't realize how much goes on when you're not streaming that you have to do to keep streaming you know creating graphics and doing the social media stuff and updating your obs and uh just you know all youtube videos and all the stuff you have to do i mean there's hours and hours of stuff that happens behind the scenes that the people watching don't even see so if you you know i i I think I've done about 50 or 60 hours of streaming in the last 10 days, but then there's probably another 20 hours of other work involved. So it's like, I've already put in a month worth of work. I'm 10 days in and I'm exhausted, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's the same, same with podcasts and just really almost any content that is produced that, you know, you, the listener consumes, it takes a ton of energy to produce this and put it out, especially if it's produced at somewhat of a high level. I mean, you could produce something that is absolutely atrocious very, very quickly, but I don't know that that's going to help you reach your goals in the way that you want. And everything is way more complex. Everything is way more complicated and everything takes way more longer than you anticipate. At least this is my experience. Yeah. And I got to say props to you. Cause I, um, I mentioned earlier, I was kind of scrolling through some of the podcasts today and you've put out a ton of content and it sounds like you have a ton more already in the can and I think back to when the TPE podcast started and, you know, we were putting out episodes every two weeks and that was a lot of work. And then it kind of started to become once a month. And then it was like once every two months. <laughs> and it was, it's just really a lot of work to put a podcast together. Um, so I, you know, we ended up essentially handing the reins of that off to Clayton Fletcher uh, and he's done a great job with it. But man, to the people who like continually put out content podcast or otherwise, like on a weekly basis or whatever, I just have so much like respect for it because it's it's just a ton of work. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, and uh, I I'm, I'm trying every day. I'm trying to start producing one episode a day. Like this is what I'm trying to build towards, and I'm getting the the pieces in place. But like the reality is, you know, with private coaching, with having product launches and launching the podcast, writing intros, promoting it on social media, like there's so much behind the scenes work. Like I make content for pokercoaching.com now. So I have responsibility to make that content on a regular basis as well. So like it's hard work churning all of this stuff out. And like what I'm learning is, you know, I, my process first and foremost has to be pretty streamlined. So if you're looking to approach any one of these content creation endeavors, make sure you iron out your process, handwrite it, look at it, see what makes sense, see what you can optimize see you know ask the question of like do i have to do this part of it like is this absolutely necessary if it's a major pain point um and if it's not then you can either hire it out or do something that's a little bit different that uh takes less time but like always measure your process and yeah it's tough it, it's uh that's why i lean on my guests right that's why i'm not monologuing every single day <laughs> i just uh bring somebody in have them tell their story and that makes my life a lot easier well, and I'm sure you can relate to this too. I mean, one of the biggest challenges we always found, and I still find to this day in all the things that I do involving poker, is that you're essentially working with a community of people 
who got into poker because they didn't want to be told where to be at what time and what they had to do on a certain day. And so that can make it really tough. You know, you hit up somebody like, Hey, can you make a video for TP next month or whatever? And then the next month comes around like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to be playing poker this month. Maybe next month I'll make a video or with podcast guests, you know, like, Oh man, totally forgot. Sorry. Can we do that next month? <laughs> it's just like, and, but you can't really be mad at it. Cause it's why we all got in this. It's like, yeah. it's, it's like, we want to, we, we don't want a boss. We want to do what we want to do. So it's like, Hey, I understand, you know, <laughs> It, what's interesting is like when I had first launched the podcast, I had a major problem getting people to show up on time. Like it was like a major issue. And then like as I've produced more and more episodes and had some more high profile guests, people are tending to show up on time much better now than they used to. But I had another podcast before this one, um, completely separate thing. And it was interviewing high performers and you know just basically trying to figure out how they spent their time and their energy. And those people, man, they could book it six months in advance, never hear a word from them for six months and show up on the dot at the exact time that they're supposed to show yeah. up, right? Poker players, at the beginning, it was like, they know they're supposed to meet with me yesterday and it's 3 p.m. and they're nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so used to that. I, I will say it does seem like it's gotten better over time. And I think that probably has to do with poker players are starting to realize that there's there it, there is more opportunity in this game beyond just playing poker. And I think people start to figure out like that it's important to to grow your brand and to grow your social media presence and things like that. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. What's interesting here is not something that I've thought about is that, you know, when you started TPE back in 2010, all the people who were playing around that time have now gotten older, right? It's like 10 years down the road. And as we age, we start gaining maturity. Like when, when Jungle Man came on the show and I was doing research, I was like, oh, he's 29 years old. What the hell? How is he only 29 years old, right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of these crushers, like back in the day, they're just 20, 21-year-old kids who yeah. aren't mature and have no real concept about time and life and responsibility. And like as you know, a decade goes by, they mature, mature a little and start showing up and you know, being more diligent about uh, coming through when they give their word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting on the flip side too, something that you know, we've started having conversations about. It's like, well really like a lot of a lot of the guys who who run tpe now don't even really play poker i mean we're we're all you know 11 12 years older than when we were when we started this adventure you know we people have had kids people have gotten married you know people have moved people have gotten jobs and it's like i don't really like 
I'm, I'm not saying that we don't still love doing tournament poker edge, but at what point does it come, become a thing where it's like, well, now I'm 60 and, you know, retired and I'm just like chilling at my, you know, com- my, you know, 55 and older community or whatever. Like, do I just still keep like editing the tournament poker podcast, tournament poker edge podcast every day, or do I do something else? Like, um, so, you know, it's kind of like a, it's an interesting sort of decision that I guess we'll have to make someday. Like, well, what do we do with this now? Like we're all done. You know, we don't do poker anymore. Uh, luckily, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I suppose we'll have to have that talk eventually. Eventually, but you have your brand, and I'm sure that there will be folks who are willing to, you know, take the baton when you guys are ready to hand it off at the end of the day. Sure. If you could gift all poker players one book to read, what would it be? It doesn't have to be a poker book. I would gift them Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, which was basically the book that convinced me to start Tournament Poker Edge. It, it basically, I don't want to you know, give the whole premise away, but it basically, it basically just talks about the idea of waking up every day and deciding what you want to do and just doing that instead of sort of living by the rules of society or whatever. I mean, it's not like this big anarchist cookbook or anything, but you know, it's, kinda, it's, it's really just the idea that you, that you don't have to be miserable going to work every day. And I think that's important for people in the poker community for a bunch of reasons. One is the idea that we, we've talked about, which is there are really cool, creative, innovative ways to generate revenue, make money while having fun playing poker. doesn't necessarily have to be winning. Um, but I also think there's people who play the game who are not truly enjoying it, but they're really particularly good at it. So they keep grinding. And maybe that's not the thing they really want to do. And then you have people who are stuck in jobs that they absolutely hate really want to be professional poker players, but just are afraid of the, of making that jump. And the book is really just all about making that jump and deciding that you're just going to do what you love to do. And that not, you know, things aren't irreversible, you know, like when I got into poker, I could have easily just flipped the switch and gone back to marketing and did, you know, gone back, moved to LA and got back in the music business or just switch careers altogether. But you just don't know until you make that jump. So um, yeah. So I think that's what it would be. Awesome, man. If you could wreck a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What does it say? Great question. Jeez. I'm trying to visualize myself. Uh, more rake is better? No, that wouldn't be it. <laughs> <laughs> um, have fun. I think it would just say have fun. You know? I don't know. I, I'm not as old as some of the people who talk about how they miss the old days of poker and the characters and the fun that people used to have at the tables and stuff. Um, and I'm not so young that I put my hoodie, sunglasses and headphones on and just bury myself into my cards, but there would be a really nice uh, middle ground there somewhere. I think uh, it just seems like there's a lot of people not having a good time at the tables. And uh, I think if we could all just kind of loosen up a little bit and it's not to say, Hey, you know, I understand there's things you can do at the table to be more plus EV hide tells, blah, blah, Blah. but man at least you know can we just all at least be nice to each other like that would be kind of cool <laughs> yeah I, I could not agree with you more and coming from a cash game player like yeah maybe you can give up some minor bits of ev by interacting and being engaging at the poker table but you're doing it you're spending your life force playing this game for right. like 12 hours a day like losing a tiny bit of ev that you know, may or may not even be real is not worth 
um, you know, it's not worth it gaining that extra piece of EV by just being miserable the whole time that you're playing this game. And like, you never know what relationships you can build just from the folks that you're battling with on a day-to-day basis, what opportunities might come down the pipeline for you. Um, if you are a little bit engaging and, you know, you don't have to be like ultra outgoing, but just be a pleasant human to play poker with. I mean, I think yeah. it's just good for the game. It's good for you. It's just good on multiple fronts. Yeah. Good. And it goes for away from the table too. <laughs> it's okay to be a good dude out away from the table as well. <laughs> right. Like let's just be cool people all around. Yeah. Um, what's your current big goal as related to TPE? Yeah, that's interesting too. Because I, you know, I think there's some easy answers that would be like, well, we want to be the biggest poker training site in the world, or we want to sign the best pro to be our ambassador or whatever. But I really don't think any of that is true. We've always kind of, we've really always treated TP the way that we uh, intended to when we started, which was that community aspect. It's why we've never really, like, we've never thought of ourselves as competitors with Run It Once or, I don't know, like Raise Your Edge or whatever some of the other big training sites are or even poker coaching or because we really wanted it to be more of a place for people to congregate uh, than to uh, watch PO solver videos. You know, I don't think we have a single P uh, we actually Andrew Brokus has probably done some PO solver videos, but uh, it's never really been our intention. So yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess it would just be to, to, to have the ability to do it, as long as we want to and still enjoy it. Like I would hate for it to end before we wanted it to. I think that's probably the, it's a simplistic goal, but I would love to just be able to keep doing it as long as we want to do it. I like, you know, if it had ended a year in because of black Friday, it would have like crushed my soul, you know? Uh, And I don't know if it would be quite as painful now, but if we can just, if we can like call it a day and whether that means, like you said, passing the baton to somebody else or selling it or just, or just shutting and turning the lights off one day, whatever the decision is, I'd at least like to be able to do it on our terms. You know, I don't want it to be another thing where like, oh, another Black Friday and this time we're not going to survive. You know? I hope that there's not a second Black Friday. <laughs> like, I hope that if you survive the first one, <laughs> you're, you're, should feel fairly safe right now. Yeah, I really hope so. I kind of, I, you know, it's it's weird. I actually kind of was interested to see what this whole COVID era was going to do for poker. Um, and it was a really interesting progression. And I, you might have even seen the same thing in some of your sort of business dealings. But it was kind of like this initial rush. You know, we were all kind of confused about what was happening in the world and stuff. And we had this kind of initial rush of people like, oh, I'm out of work or I'm working from home now. So I'm kind of getting back into poker. So you know, I'm signing back up. And I was like, wow, is this going to end up being like some sort of weird silver lining situation where like, you know, memberships are up and podcast listens are up and more people are playing poker. And, and, th- and for the first two or three months, it was like, wow, this is like, I mean, it, I won't say it was great because people were dying, obviously, <laughs> but I'm like, this is a silver lining, you know, at least there's something cool coming out of this. But then all of a sudden it kind of flipped and all of a sudden you started getting the calls. It's like, well, it was cool. I was out of work. So I started playing poker, but I'm still out of work and now I have no money. So I need to cancel. And it was kind of like this, oh shit, maybe this wasn't the (laughs) the silver lining that we thought it was going to be. Um, So yeah, it's been like this really interesting dynamic. And I was like, is this, is this the new, like, is this the new poker boom? Like I really thought it could have been the new poker boom for a minute. And then I, and then within a couple months, I was like, wait, is this like kind of another Black Friday where everybody's just going to like 
quit because the economy crashes and everyone, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. And it really just ended up kind of flattening out and life just kind of moved forward in a weird way. But uh, it, I feel like it could have gone either way there for a second. Yeah, there, there was a lot of things happening all at once. I mean, it was a very chaotic time just in the world in general. And I, I think that podcast listens for sure have gone down. Um, I know that they went down about 20 to 30% pretty much straight away. And they've maintained that throughout the course of COVID. Like mm-hmm. I thought too, that people are at home more, maybe they listen to podcasts more. But I think the reality is people listen to podcasts when they're at the gym and when they're driving to work and when they're yeah. flying on planes. And if you can't do that, they just would probably prefer to watch videos, I guess. So like mm-hmm. that was an interesting development was like, oh, podcast numbers across the border pretty much down because people can't travel. Yep. Yeah, it was it was really strange. I like it. I it was the, it was the first time in a while that I had really kind of dug into like analytics and stuff for the podcast, for the website, uh, for YouTube. And it was just kind of interesting to see numbers fluctuating here and there. Um, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the real, the real next poker boom would probably be federal regulation of online poker. I mean, that's really, I guess what we're all kind of hoping for, you know, or waiting for, because the reality is like, there's a lot of people like me and you and probably all the people who listen to your podcast who understand what the landscape looks like right now. They know how to play online. They know how to do it as safely as they can, et cetera, et cetera. But man, there are swaths of the country where people just think, no, that you, there's, you can't play poker anymore. They shut down full tilt. I remember when that happened a decade ago and it's like, Oh no, you can still play. It's not as maybe as easy as it used to. Well, it really kind of is as easy as it used to be, but, but there's a lot of people just don't know it. They and, and so if all of a sudden you just had this news breaking, like, Hey, Americans, you can play online poker again. I mean, it would be a, I, I think it would be a mass rush to the tables. It would be massive. I, yeah. I think that there's just a massive percentage of the population that hasn't played poker for the last 10 years. I mean, this is kind of the rise of poker bros, right? Like poker bros is like an easier mm-hmm. way where you know somebody who runs a game and then you just hand them money and they deposit it and then they pay you out like kind of manually. I think just the success of poker bros goes to show you that when you reduce the barrier to entry and you reduce the friction as far as depositing money, people want to play. People will gladly give money to make deposits. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, states, you need some revenue to help deal with COVID? We have an idea for you. (laughs) Yeah. First, legalize poker and then legalize weed too. Yep. While you're at it. Yeah. Super easy. Um, What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Um, so right now it's kind of another passion project. Um, it happened very similar to the way that TPE ended up happening. Um, you know, when TPE was kind of at its prime, uh, it was, I won't say it was running itself, but it was running very smoothly. And it, it, we had hired some people to do a lot of stuff. And it was like, so I had, I had some free time finally. And I, I had gotten into craft beer and I was like, you know, I would really be interested in getting in, involved in the craft beer industry and i didn't really want like a i didn't really want a full-time job but i wanted to learn about it and um a friend of mine had started a brewery and he knew a guy who already had started a brewery years before and they were looking for a social media person to come in and do social media for one hour a day they basically just needed somebody to like take a photo tweet it you know do facebook blah 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 and then just 
turn off your computer. Um, so I actually, so I met with that guy about that job and he's like, he's like, we had a great interview and he came back a couple of days later. And he's like, Derek, he goes, you, he goes, you're just way too qualified. Um, he goes, I'm not going to pay you like $11 a day to do social media for me. And I was like, no, no, you don't have to pay me. I'll do it for free. And he's like, no, he goes, what I'm saying is I would, I would need to pay you more. Like I would feel bad paying you so little. I was like, I was like, oh, damn. But a year later, he contacted me back and he goes, hey, we're looking at ramping up and doing something more, you know, bigger with our marketing. We'll, would you be willing to come in and work half time? And I'm like, that's perfect because I have my poker stuff I need to do anyway. So I'll come in and do it. So I did, I went on, I came on board, did that for the craft brewery for four years. And then I decided I was going to move to Las Vegas. Uh, my son had graduated, gone to college, and me and my wife were just kind of ready for a new change. So sort of similar to what we did when we came here. Um, we were like, well, where should we go? And my wife said, "Is would it be like a good thing for your business to move to Vegas? And I'm like, well, I, it's not necessary because we're an online company. I said, but yeah, there'd be some benefits to living in Vegas. So she's like, all right, well, let's move to Vegas. Then. So we moved to Vegas. And basically once a week, I would talk to my old boss from the brewery. And he would be like, hey, I started a distillery. Uh, will you come back and do marketing for me? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, I moved to Vegas. I'm, I'm really enjoying it here. We'd have this conversation once a week. And finally he said, all right, what do I have to do to get you to come back and do marketing for me? And I just kind of threw out like a bunch of stuff. I'm like, well, if you do this and give me that, and I know I'm allowed to like work in this way and everything. And he's like, okay, done. <laughs> I was like, no, you weren't supposed to say yes. <laughs> um, but yeah. So basically I moved back here. Gosh, I guess it's almost two years ago now. In fact, I think it's almost exactly two years. Um, I moved back to Durham, uh, North Carolina. And uh, yeah, and we've, so we've started this distillery. It's a, just a little over two years old. And, um, and I'm actually going to like the grand, well, it's not like a grand opening. It's like a friends and family event um, for the, uh, a location that we opened downtown for the distillery. So I'm actually heading to that today. So that's kind of like my current like project that I'm really passionate about and into. I'm, I'm enjoying... One thing I've learned in all these things I've done over my career is that I really enjoy the build almost more than I enjoy like, like, like reaching the goal. Like I just really enjoy, like when I sat down, I was like, well, we have zero Twitter followers. We have zero Instagram followers. We have zero. And so I just love waking up every day and going, Oh, we got three more, you know, like that's the stuff that I love. Yeah. So I am really enjoying this process. I happen to really enjoy bourbon. So it's like a perfect mix. Um, and it's much like, you know, and I know I keep coming back to this concept, but it is a very community-based uh, profession. Like, same with craft beer and craft spirits. Like, it's all about like people coming together and socializing and having a good time while building a business. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's keeping me really busy. In fact, sometimes some days too busy, but right now I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I, I love the journey. I love the building aspect, getting excited when somebody signs up to the email newsletter and when somebody, you know, buys some kind of course that I put out, I'm like, sweet, like it's working. People are, yeah. people are doing things that yeah. I, theoretically I thought they might, but they're actually <laughs> in reality doing it too. Um, so yeah, I, I love the journey of, you know, building and seeing that growth. It, it's a, it's a fun thing. And another, you know, it's another one of those things that in some ways is a lot of work. It is a lot of hassle starting out with zero Twitter followers, but in other ways, you know, it's part of the journey, enjoy the journey, have fun doing all the things and eventually just keep making good decisions and showing up and working hard. And like, 
you know, you, you have yeah. a business that's ran for now 10 years, right? Yeah. I always, I always say like, I, one thing I know about measuring success as it relates to tournament poker edge is that I don't remember getting our 1000th member or our 5000th member, but I do remember getting our first member. And I can, I can remember sitting at my desk and I can remember the email because we had just turned the website on, you know, like five minutes earlier or whatever. And we had, you know, we had started to generate an email list and stuff like that well before launching the site. So, you know, turned the website on, sent the email blast out and then boom, the first member came and I was like, oh my God, we did it. We created a thing that somebody could actually sign up for and they did. Um, so yeah, that I think, and I think that's like, that's the feeling you kind of keep chasing, you know, it's like, when will I sell my first bottle of bourbon? When will I sell my first beer? Like, and it just, and you learn to just thrive off of that feeling, uh, which is why, you know, in all honesty, I'll probably do this distillery thing for five years and then I'll probably be into some new passion and I'll start another company. <laughs> Let's do it all again. Well, the first person is validation, right? It means that somewhere out there that exists in the world, there is one soul that decided your thing was worth it enough to pull out their credit card and buy it. And yeah. from that one person, um, you can kind of realize like, oh, I I'm kind of onto something here. There's, there's like a market for this. And that yeah. gives you a little hope to continue pressing forward. Yep. Well, Derek, it's been great having you. And the final question is, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? So I am on uh, Twitch every few days, uh, twitch.tv slash killingbird. And you can find me on Twitter, which is at Derek Tenbush. Um, my screen name comes from a band that I used to be in. So that band still has my... <laughs> <laughs> has the name Killing Bird on Twitter. So you have to find me at Derek Tenbush. Although if you type in Killing Bird, you'll pretty much find me because they haven't tweeted in like five years. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are my two primary spots. I am on Instagram and all that stuff, but I mostly reside on, on Twitch and Twitter. So Cool. And click through the show page on ChasingPokerGreatness.com and you'll see the links to Derek's Twitter and Derek's Twitch as well as Tournament Poker Edge. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, man. I always love talking poker, and it was uh, particularly cool to talk about it with somebody who kind of has a similar sort of uh, entrepreneurial spirit. So cheers to that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, and uh, happy to have you back anytime. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.